There are many wonderful things that uh, we could uh, speak about when it comes to the Christmas message and the Christmas account. This morning, I thought I'd focus in on the shepherds and ask a bunch of questions from you about the shepherds and just what you think. What prompted God to make the announcement of Jesus' birth to a bunch of shepherds? I mean, why that group? It was a beautiful starry night. They were out, they were out doing their job. And then suddenly things began to happen. What lessons can we glean from their account that applies to you 2,000 years later? And this is our focus this morning. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and it's verses 8 to 20. It'll be up here on PowerPoint. I think, yep, it will be. And I'll ask you to stand with me. I've been working with a different Bible because my Bible is falling apart. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before... That's not it. See, this is live, not Memorex. We can do this. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the sayings which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Thank you. You may be seated. So there's a picture in contrast. Christ's humble beginnings He's born in a stable. He's wrapped in strips of cloth. And he's lying on what? A cattle feeder. Does this sound like the announcement of the, of the Son of God coming to earth? The announcement of this birth by choirs of angels, seraphim, cherubim, the scene in the manger could, ca- manger could cause a reaction. This can't be God's Son. I mean, born in a barn? I mean, I would think that God's son would be born in something more lofty. Maybe he'd go into the temple in Jerusalem. Maybe if there was a mansion by one of, by one of the leading leaders of the town, it would, he would be born there. But no, God chooses a barn. But the angelic scene in our text tells us that it must be God's son because of the angels. So to whom does God send angels to proclaim the birth of the Messiah's shepherd? He brings it to the shepherds. 
The angels bring the message of the Messiah to the shepherds. They are probably the lowest people on the socioeconomic scale. So why them? Verse 1, lesson number 1, verse 8. I have five lessons for you from the text. God speaks to and through ordinary people. That means you. God speaks to you and speaks through you to others. He's not interested in titles. God doesn't care what your position is. He's not interested in how many toys you have. He looks into your heart. The prophet Isaiah writes, the promised Messiah would bring help and hope to all people. With God, there are no outsiders. There are no untouchables. There are no lower class. There are no people who are beggars. There are no sick. There is no outcast, the rich, the winners, the losers. It's not a matter of age, nationality, gender, success, or failure. All the things that seem to matter to our culture don't matter to God. Amen? He's not the one picking losers and picking winners. He's not the one dividing people. He wants to bring us all together and unite us in Jesus Christ. For Christ, it's a matter of personal relationship with the one who loves you unconditionally and loves you too much to leave you the way you are. God loves you when you come to Jesus. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That didn't matter to him. What you were like back before you got saved, what matters to him is that he wants a personal relationship with you. He wants to take you into his arms and he wants to embrace you. And he wants to let you know that you are loved and that you are loved unconditionally. There are no conditions to Jesus' love. There's no limitations on Jesus' love. There are no heights, depths, or widths to tell you how great his love is for you. He loves so much, the Bible says, that he's willing to come down and die for you. And God speaks to ordinary people. But the question is, are you and I, ordinary people, are we listening to him? It's one thing that, to know that God's speaking. It's another thing to realize that you have a choice now, whether you listen to him or not. Lesson number two, verse eight. The shepherds were keeping watch. They were on the alert. Admittedly, the supernatural choir couldn't be missed. But God doesn't always demonstrate himself so overtly. Sometimes God uses big things to get our attention. God can use a pandemic to get our attention. God could use a tornado to get our attention. But a lot of times, just God speaking through his word, his still small voice. Listen to the words of 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 to 13. And he said, go forth. Stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. God's going to speak to you in a way that touches your heart. In the way that comes into your mind, God's going to use the Bible. God's going to use the teaching and the preaching. God's going to use a friend. God may use a song because he lives to touch your heart and begin to get you to think and focus on Jesus. 
Sometimes God will use a natural event to get our attention. And sometimes when that natural event occurs and there's supposed to be a lesson behind it, we don't get it. We keep doing the same things over and over and over again. God speaks to us through his word. He can and will choose the vehicle by which the Holy Spirit can lead you and guard you, to direct you and protect you. But we've got to be alert to his moving and we've got to listen. Lesson number three, verse nine. When God begins to move and work in your life, it can be surprising. Amen? Have you been surprised by some of the things that God has brought into your life? I know I have. Tony Campola, a pastor down in South Jersey, writes that life can be surprises. I was, quote, I was in New York theater, a New York theater, watching the musical The Man from La Mancha. Unexpectedly, the woman next to me started whispering emphatically to her husband, stop that, stop that, you're embarrassing me. Hmm. I leaned forward and looked at her husband. He was a properly dressed man with all the symbols of a, a upper-middle-class propriety. But he was sobbing uncontrollably. I knew why he was crying. It was because the man on the stage, Don Quixote, was singing the theme song to dream the impossible dream. He was singing about beating the unbeatable foe and striving with courage to go where the brave dare not go. He was singing to the audience that the world would be richer because one man, bruised and covered with scars, still strove with all the courage he had to reach an unreachable star. The man was crying because he had lost his dreams. Somewhere along the line, he had lost his vision. I don't know where you picked up your dreams and visions, but somewhere along the line, God spoke to you. Perhaps it was at a Baptist revival meeting while singing for the 20th time, just as I am. Or at a Presbyterian church retreat on the 50th verse of Kumbaya. But somewhere and someplace, God spoke to you and gave you visions and dreams. Don't be surprised if God calls you to live out impossible dreams. And if God gives you those dreams, don't let them die. Verse 10 and 11, the angels tell the shepherds three things. And this is a message that could resound right here today among some of you. Three things. Number one, don't be afraid. What do you fear? Are you fearful of something right now? Is there something that grips your heart? And something that gives you sleepless nights? Don't be afraid. Why? Because God's watching over you. There's not going to happen. Nothing is going to happen in your life that God will not allow to happen. Think about that. That anything that comes to you, regardless of how scary or how overwhelming it appears to be, has first gone through his nail-scarred hands. And he has said to you, by allowing this thing to happen, you have everything you need to be able to deal with this. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Secondly, he tells the angels, tell them that we've got good news. I don't know about you, but I've just about given up on wanting to watch the news uh, any time during the day. I mean, it just seems to me that all there is out there is bad news or fake news or whatever the words are that describe what's being meted out to us. And frankly, I'm kind of sick and tired of all the negativity. 
We, on the other hand, as believers in Jesus Christ and followers of his words, we have a good story to tell. We have good news to share. We have a happy ending to bring to people. We can show people and tell people and explain to people when we share with them the reason that we're happy. Of course, the question is, are you? Have you been listening to the good news that Jesus proclaims? Remember, it's one thing that God speaks. It's something else when people listen. Have you been listening to the good news of Jesus Christ? Or are we falling into line along with the culture? Right now, I'll tell you here and now, we're supposed to be flowing against the culture. We're supposed to be the voices in the wilderness standing up for the things that are right and for the things that are good and for the things that are positive and the things that are beautiful and the things that absolutely run in the face of everything we're being told on the news and in the media. We cannot afford to be negative. We must let the love and the positivity of God come forward. Number three, part of the things that the shepherds were told was God has given us a savior. Well, that's the universal picture. The close, an up close picture is that God's given you a savior, that you had the right and you had the privilege and you had the ability to receive or reject Jesus Christ as Lord and savior of your life. And in my understanding of you, most of you have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You're saved. You've asked Jesus to come into your heart. If there's anybody here who hasn't done that, this morning would be a great time to do that. But I'm also going to ask you some questions at the end of the sermon about the people in your life. People in your life, have you told them not to be afraid because of Jesus? That Jesus will help them? Have you told these folks that you have good news for them? Have you shared with them that Jesus is your Savior? The truth is, even, where, even in the very best of humanity, people need salvation. People need the Lord. I don't care how good somebody is. I don't care how rich somebody is. I don't care how famous somebody is. Without Jesus, they've amounted to zip. Zero. Proof text, the best woman who ever lived was Jesus' mom, Mary. And listen to what she prays in Luke 1, 46 and 47. She says, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. See that word? Mary, the best woman that ever lived, needed a Savior. And if Mary, the best woman that ever lived, needed a Savior, you do too. And I do too. And the people in your sphere of influence do too. She was so good that God chose her to be the bearer of his son. But it wasn't enough. She needed a Savior. When my Savior, Jesus Christ, died on Calvary, he took the punishment for my sins. It's personal. When Jesus hung on that cross, it was personal. Personal for me, personal for you. When he died on Calvary, he took the punishment for my sins. He delivered me from my sin, my past, my guilt. And on Judgment Day, I don't need to be threatened with fear of condemnation. I know that I can stand before the Lord, not because I'm good, but because Jesus is. Amen? You can stand before the Lord because of Jesus' righteousness. You can stand before the Lord because you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. When God looks down upon the believer, he sees us just as if we've never sinned, and then he sees us clothed in Jesus' goodness. When he looks down upon you, he sees his son covering you. 
when he looks down upon you after you've confessed your sins, he sees you without sin. He sees you with your sins washed away. And the Bible says, not only does it forgive sin, but he forgets that we ever did it. For who he is and what he's done for us and with us, lesson four tells us in verse 14, to give God glory. Give God glory. You and I have come this far by faith in Christ. It's not luck. It's not karma. It's not coincidence. It's by the grace of God that I'm not the person I used to be. Glory to God and praise his name. I'm so glad I don't have to look back over my shoulder and feel the guilt and the shame of my past. How about you? When we give glory to God, blessings accrue to us. Verse 14, the angel said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill to men. When you give glory and praise to God, you can have peace. You can have peace with God. Christ came to close the gap between God and humanity. You can have peace within yourself. This is where it starts. If you have no peace and no joy within yourself, what do you have to spread to others? If you're a, a, an unhappy person, do you think you're going to be able to spread a happy story to people in your sphere of influence? If you're a guilt-ridden person, if you're an angry person, what is it that you're going to share with the people who come in contact with you? The Bible says that water can't, come, can't be in the same place and be sweet and bitter at the same time. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's, there's a command and a promise that you don't have to be filled with negativity and fear. Jesus gives the genuine article. No, no imitation peace, no well-intentioned peace, no false promises of peace. He promises a peace that transcends the circumstance, peace when terror surrounds you, peace in failure or success, peace in sickness or health, peace in wealth or poverty, peace that surpasses our abilities to get our arms around it. When you have peace within yourself, you can have peace with the people around you that you can share. This is a wonderful gift that you have. This is a wonderful blessing that you have. And it's up to you to receive that peace. Oh, but Pastor, you don't know what's going on in my life. I, my, my, my world is upside down. Okay. Who is going to help you get it back into equilibrium? Who's going to help you get through this particular time of, of fearfulness and loneliness and anxiety and stress? Who's going to get you back? Well, Jesus wants the job. He wants to get you back to a better place, but you're going to have to let him. You're going to have to listen and follow him. The shepherd said in verse 15, let us now go and see these things which have come to pass. When God speaks to you in a chorus of angels or in a still small voice, don't just stand there, move out. Verse 15, they said, now let us go and see these things which have come to pass. And they didn't doubt. They didn't procrastinate. They didn't organize. They believed what they heard and saw it and it motivated them. What motivates you? What would it take? For some of us, it would take a bomb. But what would it take to motivate you 
to want to share Jesus with the people in your life today? Would it be the realization that to people who in your life who don't know Jesus Christ are headed for hell? There's a word people don't want to hear anymore. People don't want to believe. And yet, and yet, numbers of people who believe there's a hell is still pretty high. It's in the high 70s in our country that people do believe in hell. But if you believe there's a hell, and the Bible says there is, wouldn't you want to spare the people in your life from going there? It's the most loving thing you can do. And it is also the most loving thing that God can do to make a way out of going to hell. And that way is Jesus Christ. He provided a way. It's up to us to receive it. Verse 17. When they had seen it, the baby Jesus, they made known abroad the sayings which were told to them concerning this child. There's a, a cycle of communication in business. There are three things you need to have a communication according to business plans. Number one, you need a sender, somebody to say it. Number two, that sender needs to be sending a message. And number three, there needs to be a receiver. Those are the three pieces of the communication cycle. So, for all intents and purpose, you're the sender. And the message you have is as simple as John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have ever lasting life. If you know nothing else and you know that verse, that verse is called the Bible within the Bible. If you just knew that and you could share the implications of that verse with the people around you, you have, you have a foot in the door. God the sender gave a message of hope to the angels. The angels gave the message to the shepherds. Luke tells us the shepherds took the message and gave it to the community. And this morning, I gave you a message of hope. What will you do with it? Who will you share the Jesus with in the days and hours ahead of you? And do you think it's very complicated? Do you think it's too hard to do? I like the way Tony Campola puts it in this little uh, way to look at it. He says, imagine yourself on a ship that is sinking because of a huge gap ripped in the underside of the hull. You look at this catastrophic situation, shrug your shoulders and say, I suppose I ought to tell people that the ship is sinking but I have no special training in this sort of thing. I believe that we were once offering a course on how to tell people what to do when a ship is sinking, but I didn't have a chance to take it. I have no experience in this sort of thing, so I think I just better leave the whole matter in the hands of somebody else. That would be absurd. One doesn't need special training for such a task. The fact that you know that there is a disaster and the impending death that goes with it is enough. You simply run to the upper decks and yell, save yourselves, save yourself. Nothing more is required. There's nothing more required in sharing the gospel except to share what Jesus has done in your life. To share the fact that he came to die for you and the people in your sphere of influence. And to tell them that that kind of love is theirs if they will receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If they will confess that Jesus is God in the flesh. If they will say that he came to earth so that they might find a way to God. And Jesus is that only way to God. And when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, our sins are forgiven. And we're on our way to heaven. So my question in closing 
At the, at the bottom of your sermon notes, I've given you a space for you to write the name of someone in your sphere of influence who needs salvation. Do you see that line where I ask you to put the name down? You can just write next to that, that line. But my question is, is there somebody in your sphere of influence who needs Jesus? So I want you to pause with me and I want you to just bow your head in prayer and ask the Lord to reveal if there's somebody in your life who you know needs Jesus and will the Lord lay that person on your heart so that you would speak to them. So let's pause for a moment in prayer and see if that name comes to you. Lord, I pray that you've laid somebody on everybody's heart, somebody that needs Jesus, somebody that needs to know Jesus in a personal way. Okay, so what name came to your mind? Right there, number two, would you write it down? Somebody came to your mind? Write it down. compelling thing of all is these folks are going to know your life and they're going to say I know that that so and so is a Christian because I've seen how they live their life next thing I want you to think about is praying for God to give you a divine appointment to speak to them don't just go running up to them just just don't go shoving things down their throat just wait on the Lord to give you an opportunity to say something and that can come in a variety of ways. The person can tell you they're sick and tired of life. Boom. The person can tell you that everything in their life is upside down and things are, are going wrong. Another thing they could say to you is, I'm so unhappy, I'm miserable. Life's not worth living. Those kinds of negative responses. Or someone can say, I know I need God, but I don't know how to find him. Those are your opportunities. God wants you to reach them, and that's why you are in their life. That person you wrote down, assuming that you did, that person is in your life because you're probably and very well maybe the only Christian they know. And this is an opportunity. Christmas time, one of the best times to reach them for Jesus. So I want to encourage you today. That's the shepherd's account. What's your account? What's your story? Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for a time that we can come to you this morning. We pray your blessing upon each and every person. I pray an, an anointing on each and every person that as a result of today's message, that we will have the holy boldness to speak to this person whom you've laid on our heart. It seems like it could be hard, but we can just say, I'd like to invite you to my church and sit next to me in the pew when I go to church this Sunday. <coughs> Pray that you give us holy boldness and give us a song to sing and a story to tell like you gave to the shepherds in Jesus' name. Amen.